All right. Uh, this is episode 26 of the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, I have so much to talk about. Um, we had World Indoors just happen. Uh, some of the college uh, nationals wrapped up. But our guest today is the famous Gabby Mercurio. Uh, if you've listened to any of the podcasts or seen some stuff, I always talk about Gabby's line, which is 11 feet, 2 inches behind the back of the box. And we always talk about Apex, like for our swing to the belly drill, or some people call them flyaways from a one left approach. If you can get your toes to that Gabby's line, which is 11 feet, 2 inches behind the back of the box, you could probably jump 10. And Gabby was four foot eleven in high school, and she would touch that line. And she jumped ten, so I knew if people could touch that line, they'd probably have a chance to jump ten. And then we talk about, you know, over the years, I've just seen people who hit their knees on that line can jump twelve, uh, hips thirteen, chest fifteen, and then my guys that jump seventeen eight, their head goes past that line. Um, so I'm guessing if you want to jump twenty, you probably got to go a couple feet past <laughs> that line. Um, but we definitely have that that data, you know, in the club because. Gosh, it's been thousands of vaulters now that, that have gone to Apex Vaulting, and, and that's one of our drills where we can really measure people against that to see what their, what their possible jump could be if they can go back far enough on the runway and do full jumps. And, um, and so this is Gabby. This is where Gabby's line all started. Um, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Gabby? Like, uh, why, why don't you tell us, how'd you get into pole vault? Um, so I got into pole vault because my dad pointed out that typically gymnasts end up becoming pole vaulters in high school. Um, so I kind of followed the, the pack in that sense. And then, um, I, he, how much, how much did you enjoy that first year of pole vaulting, Gabby? Oh, I didn't enjoy it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really hated it. Um, truly to my core, I hated pole vaulting. Can, um, can I tell the story that you really hate? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So Gabby Gabby joins the club her freshman year of high school. Now again, she's four foot eleven. She has not grown since freshman year of high school. <laughs> and she comes to practice and man, she had the toughest time just landing into the pit. You know? She would kind of jump and the pole would go right and she'd land on those front buns. And I remember Gabby walking up to me, and this is when the club was still outdoors, right? We were up at West Milford. <laughs> Um, and Gabby walks up to me. She's like, ah, Bronco, I think I know what the problem is. And I'm like, what's up, Gab? And uh, yeah, I know that's that's my typical uh, girl impression. Uh, but you're like, ah, I think I need a longer pole. And I'm like, and by the way, she's on a 10, eight and she's gripping not even the warning label, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, Gabby, you're not gripping the top of this pole. Why would we go to a longer pole? And she's like, ah. Whatever. I don't think she came to another practice that year. <laughs> so it's like after that experience, why did you come back? Like, what 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 made you come back? Um. Well, what I meant was I wanted to like grip higher because I thought everybody <laughs> else gripping. All right, higher. defend yourself first. Um. That's, well, that's what I meant. I saw everyone else gripping higher, and I was like, well, if I gripped higher, I bet I would land like everybody else. Right. Um, which which funny. <laughs> just to stop you there. Think about that. So that that's why I get why some people maybe even think like, oh, if I could just grip a little higher, but. If you're not making it into the pit, you can't just grip up. You can't be like, well, that guy over there is gripping really high. I guess if I do that, maybe no. Like mm-hmm. that guy is also probably running faster than you. Yeah. You know? Um, but, but go ahead. So, you know, I, I totally get the logic. Go um, ahead. Um, so I 
was basically forced to stick with it um, because of my dad. He really pushed me to not quit on it. And ultimately, I'm really glad that he didn't um, because it ended up being something that I really, really love and has um, been really woven into, like, the fabric of my life. It's, like, a really integral, like, part of who I am. Um, so I just tried really hard to get in the best shape that I could the yeah. whole summer going into my sophomore year. And I tried approaching it with more of an open mind. And at that point, Bronco had moved inside. So like the conditions were a little bit more comfortable jumping. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of blossomed from there. I really fell in love with the sport and yeah. every day I try and work as hard as I can at improving at it. Yeah. And, and you ended up graduating high school with a 10 foot PR. And, and I remember like, you know, uh, Gabby, one point uh, during high school, texted me a picture of her workout plan. You know, <laughs> she had her little workout plan. And I even remember one time I'm coaching a session and out of the corner of my eye, I see this person like ripping through pull-ups. You're like, bang, bang, bang. And I'm like, who the heck is that person? And I turn, I'm like, oh, it's Gabby, mm -hmm. you know. And I even remember going up to a couple of the girls that were jumping 11 at the time. And I said, hey, like, uh, you know, Gabby's starting to hit your mid mark. And they're like, uh... And I'm like, well, if she hits your mid, she's going to jump your bar. And I, I remember the day you jumped 10 because that day those girls jumped just 10 or just under. And I got the phone call that you had PR'd. Like I had somebody else coaching that day. And man, the look on those girls' faces. <laughs> um, which I, I guess this is a perfect segue, you know, because mm -hmm. I think, you know, what you're a bio major, right? Yeah. So you're I'm gonna a be double. like a doctor. Uh, hopefully one day I'm a double major in biology and health science and I'm a chemistry minor. Right. So I'm very impressed. So here's the thing. Gabby's really smart. <laughs> I'm a pretty by the numbers guy when I coach. And, you know, to be a doctor, there's just a lot of stuff that you got to know and you got to be really smart. You got to be by the numbers and mm -hmm. things have to have a logical progression. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's why like with me and you, when we've talked about things over the course of your career, you know, we always stick by those numbers, mm -hmm. you know, and even through this story about Gabby's career, you know, one, you find out, okay, yeah, she starts doing those swing to the belly or flyaway drills, toes touch the line, she ends up jumping 10. You know, she starts hitting those girls mids, she ends up jumping 10, you know, and now in college, she hits a further out mid. She lands deeper into the pit. She's at 11, four and three quarters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like, we know those numbers matter. You need numbers in order to track progress. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, what's your experience, you know, now, cause I think sometimes when I have athletes at the club, you train at the club, like you kind of just always think about those numbers and you understand the correlation between physical training and technique and technique to PRs and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the whole connection between those factors, right? Like you have technique, you, you have your physical uh, training and, and, you know, it should come together. But sometimes you don't realize how not a lot of other people see that. Mm -hmm. Like what's, what's your experience been since, you know, you've been through college and meeting some other vaulters and, and stuff like that. What's your impression of, you know, people using data or what data do you feel like is maybe ignored, you know? Um, so the biggest thing that I think is ignored a lot is like hitting mids, um, where I pull vault in college, mids aren't talked about at all. And I think that, um, People, it's not that they um, don't recognize the importance. I think from, like, the very beginning, they just don't understand, like, exactly what a mid is and, like, how it's used to measure speed on the runway um, and how efficiently you're running. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that's ignored. 
Um, yeah. A lot of people look at the takeoff as the takeoff, like where your takeoff is. Yeah. Um, and that's not really going to change a whole lot. And that doesn't right. tell like you in, a lot. In the, in the course of a meet, I mean, if it changes a foot, that would be astronomical. And in mm-hmm. the course of a season, I can't imagine that changing more than a foot, foot yeah. and a half. Like you're going to hit relatively the same takeoff because you have to almost think of it like, like long jump, you know? Kids, once they hit a certain long jump PR, it takes a whole season of training to PR in the long jump by half a foot sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that takeoff point, if you think about it from a jumping perspective, you really need to get that much physically stronger in order to move the takeoff mark. Whereas a mid mark could change three or four feet within a meet. And in a season, if you really work your butt off, you can get that mid to change as much as five feet back, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that is like, we were kind of talking about this the other day. I said, you know, look, even if you're telling me that you have like Terminator vision and your coaching eye is amazing, (laughs) you could catch the takeoff and understand whether someone's overstriding or chopping up too much. Fine. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. But if for no other reason you should be catching the mid, for a data reference, mm-hmm. you know, a data point, because th- that's huge because mm-hmm. you can really tell then is a person getting faster or slower? Are they, you know, are they making progress or is something falling behind? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you feel are things with the mid that people could, what could you use the mid for to help adjust training, for example? Um, I would say, um, the mid can be used for, uh, speed, training um if if you're not hitting the mid that you want um i think that you need to figure out where an ideal mid would be for you and then you have to train to get there um because a mid oh sorry okay I'm like, okay, so. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> um so um i think that like if you want to judge how fast you're running on the runway and you want to determine whether or not your speed is contributing um to your jump in like a positive or negative way. If you're running fast enough, you'd be hitting a good mid. If you're not, you'd be hitting like a mid that's further out um, or further in, depending on where you're running from. Um, I think a mid can be used to measure what do I need to do with my speed? Do I need to work on running faster? Do I need to work on opening my stride? Am I like chopping my stuff, steps up? Right. So um, you could tell all that stuff and then you can kind of look at it like, for example, at the club, like we've always talked about, like a 38 girl can probably jump 10, a 40, mm-hmm. 40 girl can yeah. probably jump 11. Yeah, and you can also use you your know. mid to determine. Yeah, so 42, 43 is around 12, and then you yeah. start hitting 45s as a girl, well, you know, we're, we're probably going to be looking at 13 plus, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's, that's definitely a possibility. Now, obviously, you have outliers, so you have to kind of um, – tailor it for your athletes. Like you might have someone like, you know, you go to Brockport and I always remember Zach Ferrara when he jumped 16-8, he hit a 48 mid, which according to, to DJ's chart, according to things that I've seen at the club over the years, um, you know, a 48 guy is usually like 14 to 15 feet and he jumped 16-8 that day. Like mm-hmm. amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? So he's a guy that like, even though he hits that tight mid, he just gets his feet down so quick and is able to cover the jump and jump that 16-8 bar. So that he's a little bit of an outlier, but like if you're coaching and catching his mid, now you know it's like, well, let's try to get it out to 49. If we yeah. can get it out to 49, we get a little bit more speed, we can probably get PR. Mm-hmm. And actually, I remember when Zach jumped 17 for the first time, and uh, you know, or that first year he was jumping 17, and I saw him at a meet. I mean, he was he was hitting a 52 mid, so mm-hmm. th- he, that definitely moved back. Um, so with that information, you can kind of like you said, well, all right. 
let's say it's we're talking about Gabby. Gabby, you're hitting a 40 mid. We need to get you to be able to hit a 41, 42. We want you to PR this season. Well, what can we do to move your mid back? Sure, running mechanics are important, mm-hmm. but then you have to figure out the workouts. Mm-hmm. What exercises are going to get you to run faster? Because mm-hmm. if I could do that, your mid's going to move out. You're going to jump up better, mm-hmm. um, and you're going to PR. Mm-hmm. So that that's a nice indicator is, mm-hmm. is the mid mark. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think people get confused about with the mid? What do you th- what do you think? Because for me, it's it's hard sometimes even to conceptualize that stuff. Because at the club, like we all talk about mids, and it's like it's almost like a foreign language. Like we'll start spitting out mids and, and grips, and other people I don't even think know what we're talking about. So yeah. what what do you think are some of the misconceptions or, or um, misunderstandings? So I think that when people hear a mid that is, for example, like really far in, um, like you're saying, like a forty mid, um, if I'm running from um, like a fiver. Sure. You know? It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Whatever. I think people might misinterpret a mid that's like too far in as like, oh, that person's like taking really big strides. Like they're really opening up their strides on the runway. They're the probably covering close. a lot of ground. Yeah. Or if it's like too far into like the mat relative to like where you're starting from, you know? Okay. Does that make sense? I'm a little bit lost. Okay. Um, well, I mean, this is what at least confused me about the mid. I thought that, like, a mid that was, like, further in, you know, like, 40 closer, instead of 41. Closer, yeah, closer. Yeah. Um, would be indic- indicative of, like, someone who is, like, taking big strides and is, if like, getting close. really close to the mat. Yeah. No, but, like, so, like, the tighter the mid is, the smaller step. So, like, I guess just to explain things, right? Um, so a mid mark, like the mid mark we use is a four left mid mark. It's based off of DJ's chart, which Mm -hmm. again, DJ's chart is really, really good. And again, I don't know the number of vaulters that he dealt with, but over the years of coaching, he developed this mid chart and, um, you know, I've obviously incorporated it at the club. We've tailored it individually to, to specific athletes. Um, and I would say that most of our kids hit a little further out on DJ's chart for Mm -hmm. the most part. Um, but like the closer your mid is, the smaller your steps are because you have another three lefts to the box once you hit that mid. So mm-hmm. the further out the mid goes, those are the bigger strides, mm-hmm. right? So like, you know, think about even an extreme level, like someone like Andy Accardi, who's like a really tall, long kid, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he could hit a 50 mid from a four, mm-hmm. you know? So he's taking really, really big strides. Whereas mm-hmm. if I was going from a four, I'd be lucky if I hit like 42, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taking small choppy steps. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is something I think that people get confused about when like talking about a mid because they don't understand. Like, I feel like when people hear mid, at least from my experience, like when people like talk about a mid who don't really understand how it's used to measure what, like what it does, um, they interpret like a mid that's further away from your starting point, like closer to the mat. Right. You know, as like oh, this person's covering a lot, a lot of, of ground. ground. Yeah. You know? So I think that's something that people get confused about. Right. But, like, the, but there it. it's like they're not doing the math then because like, mm-hmm. sure, let's say you hit a 40 mid, but where would you run your five from typically? Uh, like 53 and a half, 54. Sometimes if it's really good, 55. Okay. Let's go with 55. So you're only hitting a mid that's 15 feet away from you. Whereas let's say the typical guy who's going to hit, let's say... 46 at his mid for a five will be running from maybe 65. Mm-hmm. So 
you see how that person's covering more ground than you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's, uh, people are not taking the starting point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's even bringing something up. Like, people don't know starting points, mids, and takeoffs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just look at a takeoff. When I know, like, and it's funny, like, sometimes someone who's new to coaching or, or new to the club, they'll be like, how did you know, like, a girl will be doing, like, ones for the first time? And I'll be like, look, go grip. Eight six run from twenty eight, and they're like, "How did you know that was gonna work?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, I just know that speed that mm-hmm. that kid is doing, and kids with that speed, and they're only landing so far into the pit. I know they can only handle this run and grip, mm-hmm. um, and it's something just over experience and time. Seeing so many vaulters, I I, I have that ingrained in my head, you mm-hmm. know. Whereas I'll see someone else, like maybe like a big tall guy, and you know, he's he's you know gripping something like you know, ten nine from a one and he's running from like 17 feet. Like I know that guy is going to be able to handle like 12 foot grip run from 41. You know, I just, mm-hmm. that's in my head. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the thing. Like people don't chart these numbers often enough and that's why they're not familiar with them. And now it just kind of sounds like gibberish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can I just like, yeah, go ahead. and that I think the, the fact that it does kind of sound foreign to a lot of people makes them less inclined to learn what these measurements are used for and learn how it's helpful towards becoming a better pole vaulter because it's a little bit confusing. Right. Right. And, and I think, you know, it's just like anything else when people don't understand something, they're less likely to embrace it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot easier. Like, listen, this is how we've done it. You know, like, I mean, think about this, like, this is how we do it. We put the pole in the box, turn around, Run our steps back and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. what else do you want? And I get it. I totally get it. But I know for me, even in the very beginning, you know, it's like I, I, I had my, one of my first nine foot girls, you know, she started running through at the end of the season because I would catch her takeoff, move her back, catch her takeoff, mm-hmm. move her back. And she starts overstriding. Mm-hmm. Once I started implementing mids, I mean, that just all went away. I never had to deal with that issue ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely a tool. Um, and it's, look, it's like, it's like a lot of things, you know, I mean, look, there's still people on this planet that think the earth is flat. <laughs> You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. to, to me and you, it sounds silly. You know what I mean? Because of the way we think it's mm-hmm. like, how could you believe that? But you know, the thing is, if you open up and really look at what's going on, there's so much of a story to be told there. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's so, so interesting to watch meets because you know, if mids are down, if somebody puts mid marks down or I put them down, you know, I can't help but see a mid every time somebody runs down the runway, regardless if they're my athlete or not. Yeah. And I can all of a sudden see, like, very early on, be like, yo, Gab, we're in trouble. That girl just hit a 46. Like, yeah. I don't know what we're going to do today because <laughs> she's got some giddy up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like that stuff says a lot. But that's also where I've predicted makes or misses at the mid. I remember one time being at Nationals and watching this one girl jump and uh, she would end up getting second. But she's the last one jumping, and she could steal the win. And I said, I start looking, and I go, and there's a couple coaches next to me and a couple athletes. I say, yo, if that girl hits 45, right, mm-hmm. it's a make. And then I look at her standards. I'm like, you know what? I take that back. She hits 45. She moved way over. Nick it on the way down. She mm-hmm. moved her standards up. Girl comes down, hits 45. The coach looks at me. The athletes look at me. <laughs> she goes up. Over, Nixon on the way down. Just missed a national championship in Division Three, And it's like, that's the crazy thing. Like, when you know these numbers, you can really see what what is actually happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, 
I guess to go off of this point, um, I mean, look, you've had a career where basically every year you've PR'd for the most part. Yeah. I mean, you took yes. a break mm-hmm. uh, your freshman and sophomore year. Yeah. Yeah. So Gabby originally went to a Division One school, uh, tried out. They didn't take her on the team. Mm-hmm. Um and it wasn't until you transferred to Brockport mm-hmm. as, as a junior where, you know, you were able to start vaulting again and all that stuff. So, you know, it took you a little while to get back into it uh, mm-hmm. the first year. But that being said, you really haven't had like a gap of years where you didn't, like you didn't PR. You, you never really hit a plateau. Like you've constantly no. improved. Yeah. Um, how important do you think this, the data, like the number tracking, um, you know, is to your progress. And maybe you could talk about some numbers that are more personal, whether it's a certain exercise or certain mm-hmm. lift or, you know what I mean? Like, do you feel like those numbers helped, you know, show you the way so mm-hmm. that you were able to make adjustments? Yeah. So, um, I think that using solid data to back up, um, how you are going about your training and, um, how you think, you know, when you're like hitting numbers that you think you should hit or hitting mids or getting on poles that you think you should get on. I think using numbers and data to back that up is like really important because you can't, you can't really, um, make excuses for yourself if you are seeing evidence showing you like, oh, I'm getting weak in this area or like my, my mid is off. So like maybe I'm running slower, you know, like you can't. And then that makes it, more clear to see what the areas that you need to improve. Does that make sense? And and it's funny that you said like, you can't make excuses. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the numbers hold you accountable. I know the numbers, the numbers hold me accountable as a coach. Cause if a kid is not hitting a PR and they're not hitting their mids, it's like, well, it's my job to make sure that that athlete understands that and understands the relationship between those numbers and their physical training. Yeah. And I think it's really being honest with yourself, I think is a huge key factor to seeing success in anything. You have to be able to realize where your strengths and weaknesses lie. And when you use data and numbers um, to measure that, it makes it much easier to see what your weaknesses are and the areas that you need to improve instead of kind of ignoring, um, ignoring the things that you're bad at. I know a lot of people, and like, I see this a lot. People like, like to do the things that they're good at. They don't really like to do the things that they're bad at. So like, um, for example, like I really like lifting. It's, you know, um, strength training is just fun for me and I like it. And, um, I don't particularly like benching. Um, so I know that there's been times in like throughout my training regimen where I would kind of ignore lower benching numbers. Um, or I would ignore benching entirely. I would kind of, I wouldn't do it. I'd focus more on, um, on, you know, other lifts. And you can see how that, um, plays a role in not ending up where I wanted to be because I know, I know where that came from. I can't go to my coach and be like, oh, coach, I don't know what's going on. You know? Right, right. You know, if my benching numbers are low, then I know that that's probably what's contributing to my non-performance, my lack of performance. And so I know what I need to do and to improve, but it takes a lot right. of being and, honest And just for some people that are maybe listening to this, because I, look, you're very, very fortunate. You're at Brockport uh, mm-hmm. with Coach Ed. 
Ed Jaskolski. Yeah, who actually was just uh, assistant coach of the year. Yeah, he won. Three. Yeah, he won assistant and coach. And he of the had year. a national champ, right? Yes, in the throws. He national champ in shot put. Yeah. And and she took third in weight throw. Yeah. So Ed Ed's a great coach, and we've actually had him on the podcast. Like great, great mind for strength and conditioning. And so it's like I know a lot of people who are listening to this in the pole vault community. Uh, you know, we'll maybe talk about this too, but a lot of people in the pole community, they kind of think, oh, well, I don't want to get big and bulky, so we'll just do <laughs> body weight stuff. Um, but even something like a bench press, which you may not think is very, uh, you know, the term functional, mm-hmm. um, the thing is the bench press is a good reflection of upper body power, yeah. you know? And so it's like, you know, when you're hitting a good arch position on the bench, like a traditional powerlifting stance, and you can hold your back in a nice tight position, engage the lats to hold a nice stable position, and then, you know, charge that bar out. I mean, it just makes a difference, you know? That, yeah, that does show you your upper body strength and capabilities. And if you're not pushing that, well, that's, that's just one piece of the pie that you're dismissing. Yeah. And if you don't think upper body strength is important or upper body power is important for a pole vaulter, mm-hmm. I mean, you're missing something because yeah. that is huge. You know, I see a lot of people that legs-wise, they're great. They can hit awesome mids and they can't do anything on the pole. Yeah. So you, you have to be powerful upper body-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a bench. I'm not asking you to have a Arnold Schwarzenegger chest, <laughs> but you know certainly you do have to have some strength there. Yeah. Um, and I, I've never seen it hurt anybody's no no but I, I think but it's... yeah like it's a good example like you know i guess for for you know some of my athletes over the years like i've had certain athletes that they started hitting some really impressive numbers you know i, I had a girl a couple years ago that was um hitting like a 200 pound single leg squat at a body weight of 125 mm-hmm. and the following year um i think she weighed 130 pounds and she was only able to hit a 175 pound single leg squat mm-hmm. well her mid went from a 47 to a 45, and her PR went from 13.9 to 13 that year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was like for that athlete, that was a big indicator for us was a single leg squat. Mm-hmm. And it was like there was a direct correlation between her single leg squat, her mid mark, and then her mid mark to her PR. Yeah. And so, you know, again, I, I don't think Gab or me can give you like, just do this and you will jump higher, right? <laughs> yeah. But by tracking the the data in training, you can make your own correlations for your own athletes. Like in the particular case that I was talking about, you could see single leg squat, mid, and PR. Those were all connected. Mm-hmm. And and furthermore, let's say, you know, that single leg squat, you got it pretty high and your mid is pretty far out. Then we'd have to find other exercises that would help push that single leg squat up even more since we found a direct correlation between that and the mid. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, can I just put in yeah, for a second? Go ahead, go ahead. You know, I think it's funny is like a lot of, um, a lot of the times I've known for like people to, or I've witnessed people kind of convincing themselves that numbers aren't important when their numbers are showing that there's things that need to be improved upon. Yeah. You know, when people, let's say like, you know, this, this athlete, their single leg squat goes down. I've seen it happen where this will happen to an athlete and they'll convince themselves that, oh, okay, well, it doesn't matter. It's not, not it's not important. And that's not it because it's, apparent that that's an area of weakness and like i said before people don't like to do things that they're weak at or that they are bad having at. a tough time yeah you know? well and and look i think you know when we start to talk about training and it was funny I, I was talking about this the other night with a group of athletes and 
Um, Dave Tate, the owner of Elite FTS and a very good powerlifter trained at Westside Barbell, he made a very interesting comment about powerlifting. He said, a lot of the people who are trying to become elite powerlifters are not as dedicated as a high school wrestler. <laughs> and when he said that, that really was like, oh my God, he's right. Mm-hmm. And, and look, I love pole vault. You know, I mean, that, that's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast to try to put information out there. And I, I've gotten great feedback from a lot of people. I will tell you this. If you're trying to be a top high school pole vaulter, if you're trying to be a top collegiate pole vaulter, if you're trying to go to USA's or the Olympics, you cannot let a high school wrestler be more dedicated than you. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, like, you know, I think we all like the idea of something easy being the answer. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if I told you, like, Gab, you don't have to lift. You just, you just got to fix your plant. Wait, you told me I don't have to throw up anymore? <laughs> you told me I don't have to strain? I mean, you know, I've been showing everybody mm-hmm. the deadlift from the Arnold where, where the guy's deadlifting and blood starts squirting out his nose because <laughs> he's at such a high intensity level. Yeah. And it's like, look, if you tell somebody they don't have to work hard to get the next PR, they're going to be like, okay, I'm good. Yeah, I sounds, won't work hard anymore. Sweet. I mean, that's yeah. a great a great plan. Yeah. I mean, if you told me I could eat pizza every night and have six-pack abs, I would do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's just not the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think we want to buy into the fact that it's just something technical. If I just fix this technical – listen, man, it takes hard work. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, like, you know – if you've been hitting, you know, a 50 mid for the last four years, well, you got to do something to move that mid now. And it's probably not technique anymore. Yeah. You know? And this is why I think numbers are so important, like, in um, the training aspect of pole vault, you know, not just, like, mid mark and where you're gripping and such. But I think if you used to deadlift 200 pounds and now – and this is, like, for girls, obviously. Yeah. If you used to deadlift 200 pounds and now it's really, really hard – Let's say you used to be able to deadlift 200 pounds for five, and now it's very, very difficult for you to deadlift, um, like, 190 for three. Like, you can barely, like, crank it out. Like, there's something to be said about that. And, like, people can ignore training as much as they want to, and and – a discrepancy like that, a difference like that will be reflective in in your pole vaulting. Right, And I think people want to take that and push it aside and kind of be like, oh, well, what can I fix technically – you know, yeah. like where, how can, how can I fix my jump technically and kind of ignore, um, the other side of, of where data lies, like data that shows you where your discrepancies yeah. are and where your weaknesses are. Right. You know, and, and, and again, it's, it's like, it's funny for me, you know, because I see athletes all the time that sometimes get physically weaker, mm-hmm. the mid moves in, the grip goes down a little bit, the pole goes down, and they still, because of technique, eke out a small PR, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that guy that's jumping 15, whew, jumps 15-4. Well, look, you were very fortunate that you probably had this big technical error mm-hmm. and you fixed it and it still cranked out a PR with lower physical numbers, mm-hmm. but that... That's not going to go on forever. That train yeah. won't just continue, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's the thing. It's like, be thankful if you're one of those people that got away <laughs> yeah. with getting physically weaker and producing a PR, yeah. but understand you better get to work, yeah. you know, if you mm-hmm. want to continue to PR or even continue to jump that 15-4 bar. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I literally have seen people just like, 
they think they got away with it and they're like, oh, I don't look, you know. Yeah, they kind of take their You foot don't off have the gas. to lift, you don't have to sprint, you don't like I just, you know, I already PR and I wasn't doing that stuff. So I'm just yeah. I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. And they lose sight of the fact that that's going to catch up with them. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'll bring up too cuz I'm sure a lot of people who are listening also train high school kids, especially with boys cuz females a lot of times are physically mature by freshman sophomore year of high school. So for them, you'll see it right away if they're not training. But with a lot of males, they're not physically matured sometimes till freshman, sophomore, or junior year of college. Yeah. So sometimes guys get away without pushing numbers because they just they're they're physically maturing, they're going through puberty and testosterone levels are rising just mm-hmm. because of that, and then all of a sudden they're PRing without really like working that hard. Yeah. And they get away with it. But it's like that again is going to come to an end. Like you can't just keep banking on that, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think another thing, um, especially with, like, high schoolers, I think a lot of them, they will, like, see success and then not really understand um, exactly where it came from. Yeah. And then yeah. when they do hit their plateau and the same things aren't working, this is an, another area why or another reason why it's important to have data that backs up your training regimen and um and how you go about pole vaulting or really anything. Um, because when you're doing something and you're not really sure like how you saw success, um, it's very unlikely that you'll be able to reproduce the same result, the same thing that brought you to that right, success. Right, because you, you don't, don't even know, know the variables. Yeah, you don't know exactly. the variables that brought you that success. Exactly. And, and even, you know, a lot of people I feel like think this way. They're like, well, I jumped this PR. Like, let's say I'm a guy. I jumped 15 and, uh, you know, I'm a 15 guy now. You know, mm-hmm. like I can jump 15 whenever I want. Uh, not really, (laughs) not really. It's, you don't own that. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I always try to tell kids like, listen, you could work at a company and make a company $10 million in the last fiscal year. Now it's a new year and you start losing them money. You can't keep walking into the boss's office and say, yeah, but remember last year? Remember last year I made money? Well, yeah, well this year you're losing money. So you're probably losing your job, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so we can't live off of the past. We have to mm-hmm. keep producing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I think, um, that happens a lot too. People like see success and then they kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit Yeah, and it's kind of like resting on their laurels. Um, and that's not to say, yes, I think like training and, um, being overall physically fit, like fitness is a huge part of seeing success in this sport. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm not saying that it's any more, more important than like technique and eating right. And right. Sleeping I think, right and I think it's like two sides of, uh, of, of the, the story. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I do think that that shows you really, um, if you're progressing, um, if you've regressed and it shows you, what you can do to improve and where you need to improve. Right, right. I think, and you know, I, I've like not faced some criticism, but I, people ask me all the time, like, Oh, why do you think it's like important to lift so much? Well, I know, you know, that if I am not hitting the same deadlift numbers or not hitting the same bench numbers that I used to be able to hit, I'm probably not going to jump what I used to jump when I was hitting those numbers because, right. you know, that affects runway speed, that affects being able to, you know, pull Go yourself up upside down. Yeah. yeah, everything like that. And so this, and I don't necessarily think that lifting and all that is, um, I mean, I think it's important like you can't, to physically fit. Yeah, you but, can't lift and not pull vault. Yeah, That's exactly. the other thing, right? Like the, the, the lifting or the sprinting that you do, that is something that helps you 
you know, along your path. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't just give up on the pole vaulting, lift for six months, and then expect to come back on the runway and be able to jump. Like, no, you need to but, keep, yeah. keep all of that working together. Yeah, but I think lifting is important because, you know, there's a story that the numbers tell, you know? Yeah. And if you're not hitting the same numbers that you used to or you're not hitting numbers that you should well, be hitting, well, to, there's something to, and two things. to be like, said about again, that. Again, it's every individual is different. Like, like, we used single leg squat as the example earlier with one of my former uh-huh. athletes. Uh, let's say you, you have an athlete that's really weak upper body wise. They're not good at pull-ups. Well, maybe pull-ups is their indicator until they get good at them. Mm-hmm. And as their pull-up numbers get better, they PR, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to individualize it for the athletes that you have and find out what their weaknesses are. Yeah. Um, because I was listening to a West side barbell podcast. That was great. And they had Tom Barry and Louis Simmons on there talking and what they were saying, and I'm going to use their example first and then I'll relate it to pole vault. Um, look, if you have a guy that's like, let's say an 850 pound squatter and he wants to squat a thousand, if he's really good at front squatting, that's not the exercise that's going to help his overall squat because he's already good at that. And those muscle groups are already the ones that are working hard when he does his regular squat. He needs to do some other type of squat variation, maybe a single leg squat, Mm -hmm. maybe a lower box squat, maybe some kind of uh, specialty bar squat. And if he gets good at one of those that he sucks at, that will drive his 850 squat to 900, right? Yeah. Well, now think about it like uh, from a pull up perspective. If you have an athlete that, let's say, is really great at takeoff drills, but their swing sucks, mm-hmm. well, you could you could maybe even get their takeoff drill a little bit better. And but it, that's but almost going to have no, no effect, effect yeah. on their overall PR. Yeah. They've got to get better at their swing. Yeah. And then, like we're saying, you have to find the exercises – uh, or lifts or workouts that help those drills out that make push those numbers yeah, and it exactly. all works together. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's a great thing to me to be able to know that I can um have a bad practice and almost know exactly why, you know, right, or have right. a bad meet and know exactly why, because those are the things that make it easier to see success in the future and turn well, those situations around. Well, well, right. And, and, you know, that's why you can look at the meet and be like, well, this was my grip. This is my best push ever I've done. I only pushed this was grip. The issue was push. The issue mm-hmm. was my mid the issue. And you can look at all those numbers. Like for example, um, what you were gripping eleven six for eleven four and three quarters jump? Yeah. Okay. So you had um basically a, a seven inch push, right? That's your best yeah. push. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can look at that meet and it's like let's say you go to another meet and you grip eleven nine and you only jump ten nine. You could be like, Whoa, what's happening? Like oh, my push yeah. went down significantly. Yeah. What's up? And then maybe you look at the mid and be like, No, my mid's in the right spot. It even went back a little bit. So I'm definitely fast enough to grip eleven nine. What am I doing wrong in the jump that's preventing me from swinging up? Or maybe did I ignore bench and pull ups and that's why I can't go up the pole fast. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's like you can start to unravel the story and really figure it out. And again, going back to like just physical fitness mm-hmm. overall. I mean, you said it, and I know Britt Delcase, one of my girls from years ago, said it. It's like, listen, guys, we're not dumb. Look at those professional vaulters, you know? Yeah. Sandy Morris, uh, Sam Kendricks, you know, Scott Houston, some of those guys. 
They're shredded. Yeah, I've never I, seen a professional pole vaulter that doesn't work out. Right. It's like or a professional athlete at all that yeah, doesn't work out. I mean, you know, it's like you're not going to see a professional pole vaulter with a pot belly. You're just <laughs> yeah. not. I'm sorry. No. I wish. Yeah. I wish because again, going back to the pizza thing, I just eat pizza all the time and jump with a pot belly. Yeah, I'm but sure that, everyone wishes yeah, that was. But that that doesn't work. So no. it's like you know, you you have to make those connections, and you know, even look. And here's the thing. Once you know those connections, you know what drives your performance, and if you want to jump high and mm-hmm. that's your goal, you know how to get there. Then that every once in a while, maybe after a season when you go out with friends and you enjoy a cheat meal or something mm-hmm. like that and have a good time, it makes that even more enjoyable. Yeah, it you know, really because does. Because now it's a treat. Yeah. You know, yeah. whereas, you know, if, if you're that guy that's, you know, skipping workouts, eating whatever you want, and mm-hmm. seasons falling apart. One, you're going to start to really dislike pole vaulting. <laughs> and secondly, now even those cheap meals that you're having like every other day mm-hmm. are not so satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to earn those rewards. Yeah. You know, and that that's a big part of it. Yeah. And from a coaching perspective, uh, you know, I have to say this. I think if you're tracking data, you track the numbers, you will have athletes that will continually make progress in the sport. And they will last longer in the sport and want to continue with the sport. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. I feel like at our club, like how many people have jumped in the club for like six plus years? I, oh, I mean, it's a long yeah, list a of people. Amount. Yeah, 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 a really good amount. Yeah, and this is why I think like um, you brought up like efficient, like push off efficiency is like yeah. another kind of number data right. indicator of um, how you're jumping. Um, what like I love about all of this and the fact that you can like draw information from it is like it shows you um that there that it is possible to get better you know right and like i know so many athletes who would like hit a plateau or they would go through a bad season and be like well i've done everything that i can um i i do what i'm supposed to do and and you know nothing's working i'm gonna quit or you know like whatever i don't care about this anymore um but when you have that like data and those numbers to look back on, you can take the situation and you can be like, okay, well, these are, these are my discrepancies. This is what I'm not doing well. These are my numbers that are bad. I know for, I know, you know, it's like a scientific fact. If these get better, I will get better at right, the sport. Right. And you know, like, like you said, like you were talking about how like you ignored the bench one season or whatever mm-hmm. for a couple weeks. And you know at the end of the season, like let's say you didn't hit the PR that you wanted, you could be like, look, I definitely didn't push hard enough in running workouts or I definitely didn't push hard enough on these technical drills yeah. or I definitely didn't push hard enough on this lift. And you know what? Since I gave a almost zero effort in that, well, now even if I give a 20% effort – I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, there's gonna be improvements. Yeah. So can I give 20% effort? Hell yeah, I can give 20%. Yeah, exactly. 20% is nothing. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it really gives you that key to like, what's the next answer? What's, what's gonna get me to the next level? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, cause, you know, I've seen it too. Like, and maybe you can go into more detail in, mm-hmm. in your scenario, but I know I, earlier in my coaching career, sometimes people would get stuck at plateaus and it was before I really embraced strength and conditioning and, I wasn't as technically knowledgeable as I am now. Mm -hmm. You know, I would have kids that like, you know, look, they liked me as a coach and they were good kids and they like, you know, I like them too. It's like, great. But it's like, they just couldn't get any better and we didn't have any answers. And it was like, all right, on to the next chapter of my life. It's like, (laughs) I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, exactly. now I don't really have those issues because there's always a way to get better. Mm -hmm. There's 
always a way to get better, and you know wh- what your performance level should be. It's not a mystery, you yeah. know? I never go to meets and be like, I wonder what these people are going to jump today. It's like, I know very well within six inches to a foot of what's possible on a given day. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that that is the, ult- that can be the, the end result, you mm-hmm. know, to, um, to, looking at these numbers and why they're important or numbers in general and why they're important. Um, and that's why I think they're important because they, you can always draw from them and figure out what you need to do to get better. And you can always figure out, you know, where you are and you kind of don't really have to play like this mental game with yourself going into a meet being like, Oh God, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, like you said, you know, because I know, um, for some athletes, just like the ambiguity of not really knowing what's going to happen is enough to like affect their performance, you know, yeah, or like yeah, just, yeah. you know, or their you attitude. Get nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're, yeah. Um, and so I think if you go into a meet more, um, more secure or more confident about what you could achieve that day, yeah. you know, knowing the numbers that you have and what you're working with, um, I think that also contributes to more successful outcomes as well, you know, knowing like where you are. Right, right. And I guess a couple things too, um, you know, one, you know, like I said earlier in this podcast, Gabby's four foot 11. Um, <laughs> she jumped 10 in high school and now, now she's at 11, four and three quarters. I think one so far has had a really fun career. You know, you've, it's, yeah. it's been exciting to jump those bars and be a part of a high school team that you can contribute to be a part of a college program that you can contribute to. And, um, you know, Maybe Gabby's not going to be Sandy Morris anytime soon. <laughs> That's, you know, who knows. Um, but the thing is, like, it was still, it, it still is a very enjoyable experience. And I think that, you know, I talked about this with Mark Cortazzo in the last podcast when we were talking about his non-for-profit USPVA, which if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, they're on Instagram. They have a website. Check them out. Um, but if we only coach people who are going to go to the Olympics – or if those are the only people that we're trying to get the attention of, we basically have nobody in our sport. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you yeah. have like 10 people. Mm-hmm. Um, I want as many people doing this sport as possible because I know for one, me, like, yeah, I was never going to jump 18, 19 feet. Mm-hmm. But pole vaulting is a blast. It truly is a super enjoyable activity. And it, through jumping and through coaching, I've just met so many incredible people, have so many uh, amazing moments in my life. And why can't other people enjoy this too, regardless of whether they'll go to the Olympics someday or not? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like this is a sport that, you know, one, you could do till you're much, much older. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, and I, I think instead of deterring people that maybe don't have that Olympic quality or skill, um, embracing anybody who wants to give this sport a shot, that's mm-hmm. a bigger thing for me, you know, because mm-hmm. I think one, there's a lot of lessons kids can learn through this sport. You know, I mean, you, you think about it. It's like you went from that year where it's like you could barely get into the pit and your dad's like, come on, give it one more shot, Gabby. Just, you mm-hmm. can do it. And think about how much you learned about discipline and work ethic. Oh you yeah. Know what I mean, through yeah. the sport and to not have that, Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine, yeah. right? Like, I'm sure if you if you try to even envision it right now, like, what would Gabby's life be like without pole vaulting? It's like, oh god, it'd be very different. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, I think I think about this all the time. I think about like, oh god, I wonder what would happen if I like just ended up quitting that year. Mm-hmm. That you know, Bronco um, told me that I like didn't know what I was talking about, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and um, I really like. To be honest, I think I would kind of be like 
not lesser of a person, but I don't think like the qualities that I have that were like cultivated through like pole vaulting and not just like pole vaulting, you know, the action, but like the whole process, yeah, the you know, like, yeah. I'm like, I don't think those qualities would, would be there. Right. You know, um, I, like I said, like this pole vaulting has kind of been woven into like the fabric of my life. And, um, you know, I'm not, I will probably never go to the Olympics. If I did, I think like, something's definitely wrong. Um, but but that doesn't mean that, you know, um, I've wasted my time, you know, I've like, there's so much that I've learned. And that's another thing. I think people like, are like, Oh, like this isn't going to like contribute to your career one day. Like people do see sports or any kind of activities waste time. It's like, well, look at the qualities that, that, athletes have and the people that they become well well right and i and i think this like i don't think everything right away contributes to the bottom line i mm-hmm. think a lot of people like to talk about money right it's like well yeah. it's not gonna make you money why are you doing yeah it, right? i think but a not lot of people everything equate yeah success not with everything money. contributes to the bottom line yeah. directly yeah so yeah sure maybe gabby's not gonna get signed by nike through pole vault mm-hmm. but the the personality traits, the discipline, um, you know, the character you've built up through this sport and the experiences you've had mm-hmm. make you a stronger person, which now whatever career path you choose or go into will make you more successful in it. Yeah. And that, that now contributes to your bottom line. Yeah. Like you look, I know, you know what I mean? Gabby's going to be a great doctor someday. You know, <laughs> once she's done with school we'll and if that's what she chooses to do, you know, cause people can change their mind. Yeah. But if you choose to be a doctor, you're going to be an awesome doctor because I know the work ethic that you put behind. Mm-hmm. Like I know for me sometimes, like, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but when I travel to meets, like I don't charge for it. Mm-hmm. And when I bring polls to the meets for, for the kids, I don't charge for it. And a lot of people think I'm crazy. They're like, Bronco, why would you go to the meet for free? You're spending money on gas. You're spending money on this and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And to me, it's like, look, the whole reason I coach all these kids, like obviously I do have to charge it as a business. But like the whole reason I coach these kids is to see them succeed. So if they have a state meet that I can attend, you know, and the only reason I'm not at one meet is because I'm at another. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I'm going to go to that meet. And I never wanted to be like, oh, well, they didn't have money to pay me, so I'm not going to go. No, mm-hmm. I'm going to go regardless, and I don't want money. And maybe that's not a good business decision mm-hmm. in the moment. It's not affecting my bottom line. But in the long term, I think that's why I have the club that I have because I think all my athletes understand yeah. the extra oh, yeah. effort that I put yeah. in, which also then makes you guys put the extra effort in. Yeah, You're like, sure. how am I going to tell this guy I'm not going to squat today when mm-hmm. he just drove like – I mean – I've done this like several times in my career, been at a meet all night, drove through the night, not slept and gone to another meet right after. It's like, <laughs> yeah. how are you going to tell that guy? Yeah, no, I can't do another set. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, it's been really a culture that like, um, you created here with like apex, you know, Thank you. um, every- I, think, I think everybody that's <laughs> been in the club has contributed. Though. Yeah. But, um, I, I was actually just thinking about it in practice today, like, wow, it's crazy how far, the club has come since I, I, I know because you I went when we were in West Milford. Yeah, like, we went like like Bronco like went through West Milford and which was outdoors. Like we would yeah. jump in the rain and stuff. Yeah, to the old facility where you know there was like one pull up bar. We had like a pull up bar that was like basically taped in between two beams that we yeah, would do yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. um and like two or three kettlebells and now here we have like you know 
all this equipment, two pits, and it's just like crazy to see how it's Evolved, grown. Yeah. And and I obviously that's in large part because of your dedication, but I think that you create an atmosphere where athletes come and they are excited to be here and they're having fun while working hard and learning these life lessons. And I think that because you allow that atmosphere to exist, that is what, you know, attracts more, more and more people and gets them to stay. And then it eventually builds into, to this. And I'm sure it'll, you know, keep growing long after, you know. Right, right. And, and, you know, and kind of going Mm -hmm. back to what you were saying, it's like sometimes people may ask like, oh, why are you wasting your time or whatever? Mm -hmm. And I know there's people that, that said that to me about my life. Like, cause I stopped teaching. I was a full-time teacher and I Mm -hmm. stopped teaching to try to coach pole vaulting full-time. And, you know, I know there was a lot of people who were like, wow, he's a dummy. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and look, I, I love teaching too. Don't get me wrong, but this was just something that I, I really, you know, wanted to see if I could do it. You mm-hmm. know, I really, there was a deep passion, uh, for starting my own business, mm-hmm. for it to be pole vaulting and to just coach full time and, and really see how far I can take it. Yeah. And I think I'm a much happier person today because of it. Cause mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people, they, they're scared. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use this analogy and, and hopefully some pole people get it. But like, you know, if you've ever watched the 1500 meters or the mile contested at like a world championship, Olympics mm-hmm. or, or, you know, national championship in college or high school, everybody knows they all run quote unquote tactical, mm-hmm. right? Which what happens is like, for example, let's say the best miler in the group runs a 359. Um, everyone goes out and the winning time might end up being 412 which is a far cry from the best guy. <laughs> yeah. And then even like the guys down the line may have had a 405, 406 PR. And it's like, if the winning time is 4.012, I'm sorry. I'd be kicking myself if I'm the 406 guy. Yeah. If I went out all out, maybe I win, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was so proud this this weekend. You know, I literally like, I'm going to admit it. Yeah, I almost started crying. Like it was just so <laughs> emotional for me because our, our kid – uh, Jeremy Hernandez from Ramapo College, he went in there, he had broken the Division Three national record, ran 3.59, and the night before the race, he, he like, turns to me and Justina Casavell, our head coach, his his distance coach, and he goes, you know what, guys, like, I'm just going to take it out. Like, I know it's hard to run by yourself, but I'm just going to go. Yeah. And he had a half a lap lead by the second lap, and he won with a 4.05, and the next best time was, like, 4.12 or 4.15. Mm-hmm. They never even tried to run <laughs> with him. And the thing is, like, that that I think is just a great um, metaphor symbol for what we're talking about right now. Yeah, you know, it's like you've got to go for it. You yeah. got to really go for it because if you go for it, you're going to be happy at the end of the day. Yeah. When you really try to see how high you can jump, like, look, when you jump ten in high school, I, <laughs> you know, I couldn't be more proud. Yeah, and now that you're eleven four and three quarters, again, I couldn't be more proud because mm-hmm. your freshman year, even maybe your sophomore year, no one. No one would have thought that you would have jumped this high, but you've freshman really, year. I don't even think I cleared yeah, a bar. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like you know that they would have never given you a shot to jump the bars that you jump. I mean, even mm-hmm. your opening bars now of like ten or whatever, ten three. It's like they would have never thought you could clear that. Never mind open, open at, at that. It, yeah, and and now you're doing it, and that really teaches you something about what you're capable as a human being. Oh you know? yeah. It's like yeah. Y- you you may doubt yourself sometimes and not mm-hmm. think like, "Oh, I don't know if I could do this." But it's like when you really push yourself, mm-hmm. 
you really find out what you're made of, you oh, know, yeah, and, and you're 100%. capable of way more than you ever thought you were. Yeah. And then this is like another point I wanted to talk like make, um, is like being honest with yourself and really realizing when, you know, you need to do something that's hard. Um, I think, oh, like it might be hard in the moment, but overall it like makes such a huge difference in the level of success that you see and it really brings you closer to what you're trying to achieve when you're able to be honest with yourself about like where you stand right now. Yeah. And I think one thing, one thing that has brought me to being basically no hiding every single meet my freshman year to where I am now, um, is I've always been able to look at myself honestly and know where I'm, where I'm messing up, where are my weak areas and where I need to improve, you know? Um, and I think, that if I wasn't able, and obviously that's not something everybody can do. Not everybody like wants to honestly admit to themselves their weaker parts. It's, it's hard, but it's it, hard, it is. Um, and it takes like practice, it takes practice, you know, yeah. being able to be comfortable saying something that you're bad at or rec- acknowledging that there's something that you're bad at. Um, but I think that if, um, any athlete or any anybody who person, is trying yeah, to a, any accomplish anything is able to be honest with themselves they'll it being able to do that will take you so much further yeah um and i think that's i attribute my success throughout my pole vaulting career um largely to that yeah you know knowing when um i when i was doing something right and knowing when i wasn't doing what i was supposed to be doing yeah um and i think you know there's and anybody can can do that's like the beauty of it almost yeah. it's like anybody can improve at anything when they're honest with themselves about what they yeah, need to improve yeah. so that's kind of like um the even bigger so, message so i i guess i'm going to go off of what you said mm-hmm. cuz one of the issues that i kind of see in the pole vault community or the track community um collectively is People have a hard time dealing with honesty. You know, the, recently I, I um, you know, I saw on Facebook somebody posted a, an article. Um, Sean Barber had a very poor showing at World Indoors. He mm-hmm. had jumped, I think, just the opening bar of seventeen four. He was last, and the article was titled "It's like since winning his World Championship, mm-hmm. Sean Barber has been far from the podium." Mm-hmm. I read the article. It was like whatever. There's barely any information in there. It just basically talked about his pole vault marks mm-hmm. and his finishes at Worlds, but they didn't talk about anything training mm-hmm. or anything going on in his life. And I, I just feel like you know most track uh, media doesn't have enough good coverage. They just talk about numbers. And, oh, oh God, yeah, that kills me yeah. too. It really kills me. Yeah. And so I mentioned, I made a comment. I was like, look, like, I really feel like the media lacks depth of coverage, but mm-hmm. he did have a bad day. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of other people commented like, oh, what gives that journalist the right? And I'm sure he couldn't do anything that Sean Barber can do and blah, 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 blah. But the facts are the facts. He had a bad day. Yeah. You know, and it's like the sooner people can realize this, like the better. Like personally... USA's, I thought, was an amazing competition. It was amazing to see, you know, KDPR and, you know, Sandy somehow, like, after not jumping for a month and a half, you know, getting that second spot. Mm -hmm. I thought Jen had a great showing. Scott PR and winning and beating, you know, Sam Kendricks. Mm -hmm. You know, first time ever Sam loses in a while. And, um, you know, I don't know how many straight days it was. (laughs) I I think uh, Trey might be able to help us. But anyway... um, but now I saw world championships, and again, I thought the women's side 
amazing, stunning yeah. competition. Oh my you know, god, Sandy winning, so, so and especially after getting like speared, you know, in the leg. <laughs> yeah. Sandy still pulls out the win. Yeah. Uh, the Russian woman, I forget her name right now. I'm so bad, but she gets second. And Katarina, mm-hmm. I read her Instagram. I guess she had been dealing with some injuries. They were questioning even competing this year, and mm-hmm. she still managed to get bronze. Amazing showing, and the heights were awesome, right? Yeah. Uh, Sandy jumped 495. You know, then the next jump was 490, and then it was 485. I mean, you literally like listen. If you're on the women's side, it's like if you can't jump at least 159 on a given day, it's like you don't have a shot of placing now, which is yeah. amazing the level they're at. Yeah. And then you look at the men's side. <laughs> I listen. I know maybe somebody's gonna get mad for me saying this, but I wasn't that impressed by the men's side. Renault Lavillani jumps 194 for the win. His PR is 20 feet, two and three quarters inches. And he's winning with something lower than... Right, right, right. He won with 19.4. Great. Congrats on the win. Yeah. But it's like you're far from your best. Yeah. Then Sam gets second. He didn't even clear 19.4. His PR is Mm 19.8. Peter Lisek, also a 19.8 guy, didn't clear 19.4 either. Got bronze. And to me, it's like... Like, that's fine. Like, we can all take, like, a, you know, a picture smiling together with mm-hmm. our medals and be happy that we medaled. But, like, I don't know. Like, if I was Sam or Peter Lisek, I'd be freaking pissed, man. I could have yeah. won a world title. Yeah. And instead, I got second or third, and yeah. it's a subpar performance. And that guy had a subpar performance. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like what I was saying about the distance racing. It's like everybody ran tactical, like jogged for a couple laps, and then like sprinted at the very end, and mm. somebody ends up winning. Well, whatever. Yeah. The time's not good. You yeah. Know? And so it's like same thing. It's like, and so like I just wonder sometimes what's going on. Like I wonder if even at the elite level, like how many people are tracking all these numbers. You know, how many people have a strategy and a plan as far as training, technique? Are, are they filling all the holes and gaps? And I don't know. I don't know if they are, I, you know? Well, I to be honest, like, I, I even asked a couple of questions at the Akron Pole Vault Convention. Right. Um, a lot of the questions, I asked questions about, um, for example, I asked questions about efficiency. You know, there was a couple of elite vaulters there. Yeah, um, yeah. I asked them, like, the open panel they had and a few individually. Um you know, a lot of them, you know, a lot of them are known for having like really great push off at the top. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you do to, to get to that point? Or do you, do you know how to use that as an indicator of, um, how your performance is going to be that season? And, um, it was funny, like, um, a good amount, not, you know, obviously like a lot of them knew what they were talking about, like a good amount really like didn't, couldn't really directly answer the question. Right. And, um, I don't think that this is something that is like deliberately ignored. I just don't think that people really see the import or well, really they, see that it's there. Right. As they, something, I, I don't think they're knowledgeable an, enough. It's, and it's crazy to say, mm-hmm. but it's like they don't have the knowledge of some of these numbers mm-hmm. and they don't understand the correlation. Yeah. And, right. And then that's why they have trouble explaining it. You yeah. know, I, I mean, on a positive note, like I've seen some of the drills that Sam has done for mm-hmm. his push off where you could definitely tell it's like that, that exercise is for this drill or this segment of his jump. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a correlation. And he can tell you if I'm doing this, I'm going to do that. Cause I know even with Yelena Zimbaeva, when she was still competing, um, I think the last time she broke the world record or maybe it was her last world championship when it was in Moscow. I don't remember, but it's like she said in training, she had long jumped like 18 or 19 feet, which is nothing crazy, but for her, it was a best, mm-hmm. a PB. And so it was like, she knew that she was ready to compete. 
You yeah. know, just like I know, like Lance Armstrong, like he had, a, I guess, apparently some workout that he would do before mm-hmm. the Tour de France. And he's like, if I can hit this number, I can win the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I think there are some people that draw those numbers, draw those connections. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of people. It's like there's huge gaping holes. Like yeah. they don't know what's producing their numbers. Yeah, you know? yeah. And like I said, I don't think it's deliberate at all. I think that... um I think it just takes a lot of years of being becoming familiar with the sport, and like I said, like I really mean years. You know, I feel like, and like you know, obviously, I think you're a great coach, but I don't think that back when we were at West Milford, yeah, yeah, yeah. we could talk about numbers for the, like almost a full way, hour. Yeah, the, the way, way we that we talk now, you no. know. Um, and well, so I well, think, it's, and I, and so on a positive note, mm-hmm. like look and. That's why it's like being honest with yourself. Like, and I said it earlier in the podcast, mm-hmm. in my early days of coaching, it was very raw. Yeah. You know, there, <laughs> uh, there were mistakes made, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, heck, even after one summer, I went down to Tennessee, worked with Roman Vicharnikov, and I changed our entire technical model. Oh, so, yeah, I, I mean, that. I've made mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. No. And, no, no. and so if you're listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. And you might be getting pissed right now. You'd be like, <laughs> screw that guy. I'm never catching a mid. I don't need to worry about the training numbers, blah, blah, blah. We just got to do this. Mm-hmm. That's fine. <laughs> you could think that. Mm-hmm. And I hope you're happy. But instead, if you take a minute and go, you know what? Yeah, maybe. And you don't have to track the numbers that we track. Maybe maybe instead of a four left mid, you use a three. Maybe mm-hmm. you use a five. I don't know. Whatever. But point being is start tracking something. Yeah. You know, like Gabby's line, your famous line. <laughs> like maybe you don't have to make a line that's 11 feet, 2 inches behind the box. Maybe you want to put it somewhere else and track it for your athletes. And over the years, you develop numbers that matter. That's mm-hmm. fine. But you need some data to back up the training. Yeah. And instead of maybe getting angry because maybe you don't track numbers and you're like, screw that. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe instead, if you start tracking those numbers, you stabilize your performances. You get more consistent and and gradually grow, and instead of plateauing and getting stuck, you can use those numbers to bust past plateaus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way people have to think about it. Because I think it's really er- easy to have that knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, I- I'm guilty of it sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. like, you know, someone's at a meeting, like, hey, Bronco, like... I- actually, at States, one of my buddies came up to me and like, hey, Bronco, you know, I would have probably just went up grip. I wouldn't have went up a pole. And, you know, if I don't check myself, I could have very easily been like... Go screw, you yeah. know, but you know, my, my buddy Joe Donahue said that to me and I was like, and I watched Sydney come down and get stood up. One of my high school girls and I walk back and I go, Hey Sydney, would you rather go up two fingers and go back down a pole? She's like, yeah. And then she, she almost made the bar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was the right move, but you have to sometimes swallow your pride, check your ego mm-hmm. and be open to hearing advice or things that make sense. And listen, Maybe you don't like the technical model we use. Mm-hmm. That's possible, right? I always say this uh, to people. You know, maybe you don't like, uh, you know, I learned from Roman Macharnikov. He coined it the 640 model. So mm-hmm. we, we do that stuff. So maybe you don't like something out of that model. Maybe you don't like the, the Q pull, mm-hmm. right? Do you not like people running tall? <laughs> do you not like an efficient plant with a high pull carry, nice pull drop? Do you not like people jumping up at takeoff? Do you not want your athletes pushing off the top? 
don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that we just discussed on, on this podcast, you know, again, you don't have to use a four left mid. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different mids to use. Yeah. You don't have to necessarily single leg squat. You don't have to deadlift. Mm-hmm. You got to do something. Yeah. And you have to track those numbers mm-hmm. and you have to see where you're at. And if you're not pushing those numbers, if they're not constantly getting better, expect a plateau. Yeah. I mean, I have kids all the time. They're like, hey, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, how are your max outs? At lifts. Oh, they're the same as last season. All right. Guess you're going to jump the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, you know, I just, I hope people hear this with an open mind. You know, I mean, even yeah. what I said about the world indoor champs, I mean, listen, like, look, congrats to everybody who competed. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You're on the world stage. Like, obviously you're the best of the best, but I mean, I don't think it's unfair of me to say like, look, like guy, basically almost everybody had a subpar performance. I mean, there were a couple <laughs> people that performed well. Yeah. The Greek kid broke the, the world junior record, yeah, the, the you know, schooler. Mondo looked pretty good too. You know, like there's some people mm-hmm. that look good for them, you yeah. know, but there were a lot of other subpar performances. Yeah. I, I mean, those are facts, right? People jump below their PRs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then this is like, you know, goes back to what I said about like being honest with yourself. Like it, it's something that's hard to do, but If you look at being honest with yourself with, you know, the thinking about this is going to help me, that kind of makes it a little bit of an easier pill to swallow, you know, like knowing that if I am completely being 100% real and knowing that I didn't do what everything that I could have or I didn't do what I was supposed to do or there were some things that I skipped out on, if you're able to do that, you know, good things do come out of it as hard as it yeah. is. And then just knowing that something good does come out of it almost makes acknowledging the bad things a little bit easier, you yeah. know? And that's something that I would hope that somebody listening to this and thinking like, Oh, well screw that. I don't want to do it. You know, kind of like keeps in the back of their mind is, you know, knowing that the end result of being honest with yourself and keeping track of things and using numbers, um, the end result will be better, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, and that's my pole vault philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, look, and it's a great philosophy. Um, Before we go, I just want to add, it's so funny. So today, Gabby's at practice, and (laughs) I mentioned your name, and a couple of girls are like, that's Gabby from Gabby's line? And it was... it just made me so happy because, like, they keep hearing about this, like, mystical Gabby, you know, who's four foot eleven, you know. Yeah. And, and it's like they were, like, excited to meet her. So that that was really great today. And, and look, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank I, you for having me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope you guys are enjoying it. And, you know, if anybody ever has any questions or anything, feel free. I've, I've gotten plenty of emails and DMs from people asking for advice. And I'm always happy to reply. I, I love hearing back from people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to keep this podcast going. Um, you know, see you guys next time. Bye.